like to uh, kick off by welcoming everybody to the 17th, yes, the 17th session of the McMaster Collaboratorium series. So instead of counting up, I'm starting to count down. And we've got 12 more sessions before we take a break in June. Um, but the Collaboratorium is a cross-disciplinary initiative between the Director's College, Canada's gold standard in corporate governance, uh, uh, a shameless plug for the Director's College, um, the Executive MBA in Digital Transformation, and I see a number of my EMBA alumni joining us as well, and the Health Leadership Academy at McMaster. Um, so I'm your webinar host, uh, Professor Michael Hartman, and you've heard the line probably many times now, I happen to be the Principal, uh, Executive Director, and Co-Director of the projects I just mentioned, which makes for a long title. Our webinar series examines how leadership governance and innovation, best practices and principles are evolving in real time. And what this means for boards, board directors, senior executives, and our emerging leaders. Uh, uh, you know that each session is an informal conversation with my guest speakers, where I ask them to reflect on three simple yet complex questions. First, to comment on what they've come to recognize as best practices and principles in their areas of expertise. Second, to share their thoughts on how board directors in this particular session and executives are trying to apply these practices and principles in our current environment. What are people and organizations giving more priority to, perhaps less priority to? What are the changing needs? And what are the workarounds in this environment? And then finally, to share with us their thoughts on what might be the new set of best practices and principles to emerge when we finally return uh, to uh, the new normal. Uh, a term which was a buzzword and is becoming increasingly a cliche, but when we do get some semblance of, uh, of back to a new normal. For those of you who do not know my colleague, uh, Michelle Richard, uh, Michelle is a senior partner and national public sector practice leader um, at Boyden, and most of our clients are public agencies, crown corporations, and multi-stakeholder entities. Uh, over the years, she's been involved with the appointment of hundreds of federal board directors, CEOs, and executives. Uh, Michelle is a member of Boyden's CEO and board services practice, and also serves as faculty for the Director's College, as many of you probably know, uh, my alum and students. Our second guest, uh, Roger Duguet, is founder and managing partner of the Montreal office of Boyden, uh, where he directs all operations for Quebec. He's been a member of the Boyden Board of Directors in Canada since 2016. And as global leader of Boyden's CEO and board services practice, he works to redefine how top positions are filled at a global scale while connecting clients with leaders who can meet their expectations in this turbulent uh, era. And I hope you didn't take my comment about uh, Director's College being the gold standard as an ICD graduate, so no offense. <laughs> but I did mention that I put your exam together and you did pass. So you did, uh, <laughs> I did pass. There you go. Um, so uh, Michelle, uh, borrowing from your Director's College appearances, and again, our alum will remember Michelle from uh, our Hollister case, wonderful Hollister simulation module five. Um, Michelle, can you give us a brief overview of some of the best practice points and principles you share in the classroom. And then some comments on how these practices and principles are being rewritten or refined in light of the current environment. 
with a specific focus on public sector board and exec recruitment. So please, Michelle. Fantastic. Thank you very, Michael. It was great to see so many familiar names come up as we were hearing who was joining. So hello to everyone. Um, and so many of you are already active board members and graduates of the Director's College. So I don't think that anything I'm going to be saying today will be surprising or something that you're not currently living right now. I'll touch on the past and bridge into what we're experiencing currently. Uh, and as you mentioned, Michael, I work primarily with federal Crown Corporation boards and the principles are quite clear. Uh, they're similar to what we're seeing with hospitals and post-secondary institutions. And as a nominating committee member, you'll want to establish the competencies and skills around the table that align with the company's strategy or the corporation's strategy that you're with. Um, what we find in the federal sector is uh, finding professionals who have the appetite and the ability to navigate complex stakeholder environments under uh, the, uh, the fishbowl, so to speak, can be quite challenging. I mean, in any given day, a board chair can be dealing with uh, departmental requests, the minister's office's requests, privy council, uh, each having different expectations and timelines on what they want delivered. And I often hear that this navigation and nuance is some of the biggest learnings for new crown board directors. So that aside, uh, from there, we look at finding the right industry or technical expertise and professional disciplines to bring onto the boards. Uh, you wanna have your accountant, your HR, your legal, and all while blending uh, the, uh, the diversity. And that really becomes a secret sauce in getting a, a very effective and uh, wholesome board. And when I talk about diversity, it really is uh, relating to the expertise, uh, gender, ethnicity, uh, disability, sexual orientation, all that come into play, a diversity of thought as well. Um, in the case of federal and provincial crowns, we do note that you also have to have that additional requirement of regional representation that can sometimes complicate matters. Um, from a crown perspective or a public sector organization perspective, the recruitment process is typically open where all applicants are invited to come through, uh, everyone gets reviewed, and where we get involved is often when there's a need to better round out the applicant pool or complement or fill in a specific gap or skill at the board level. I can say that um, crowns and public sector organizations are typically further ahead. Um, I looked at 41 federal crown corporations before this coming on to today. And from a gender perspective, they're at 50-50. 46% of your chairs are women. 34% of the CEOs are women. And they're much more balanced with respect to diversity. So by and large, I'd say that the recruitment principles have remained unchanged. Everyone wants the best CFO. Everybody wants the best talent, the best technical acumen combined with the soft skills to be a, a collaborative board member. Um, the practice of candidate recruitment, establishing due diligence uh, with your assessment and your selection remains the same. But really today, it's all about how we're doing this amid COVID and everything else. Um, so I'll just transition for a moment and talk about what we're seeing uh, from a recruitment standpoint when it comes to crowns and public sector and not-for-profit. Uh, they're continuing to operate, they're recruiting, uh, that hasn't changed, albeit it's in slow motion right now and timelines are pushed out a little bit. Healthcare and academia are completely inundated right now and have pushed out many mandates. Um, everything really has turned around um, from a virtual standpoint. Anyone moving ahead has to feel comfortable 
with uh, the virtual realm and some organizations have either started pre-COVID or during COVID and are coming to make decisions sometimes in, in fact not meeting the candidates face-to-face -face. Mm. and so how is all this happening and it's it's all through video conferencing. Mm. Um, we're finding that to gain additional comfort and minimize risk people are still interviewing through a video conferencing but there are so many more touch points we're doing many more interviews more references more meeting one-on-ones with team members more virtual tours of the workplace before actually getting to a comfort zone where an offer can be extended and accepted by the candidate um, for committees we're often suggesting that they move to psychometric assessment because it offers another uh, dimension and data point on the person's behavior their strengths, their personality, and it could highlight any derailers that as a board you'll want to be sensitive to as they come into the organization. So um, I'll unpack it a little bit further and talk about three perspectives. Well, and Michelle, that, can I ask you a quick question on that? You, you flagged sure. two things for me. One has the, so the, the, um, the volume has, has, uh, has, as you said, has, has dissipated. What about the speed at which people are navigating through the process? I'm assuming that's also taking it's taking longer. Taking more time because we're having additional touch points. So because of the additional touch points and due diligence, it's taking longer. And also people are trying to do this. It's not their full-time job. So they're trying to hire people and deal uh, as in a leadership capacity with their organization. And so right. it's not off the side of the desk, but certainly trying to range with the priorities. Good, yeah. thank you. Yeah. And so um, three perspectives. From our perspective, we're just trying to find creative ways to support the selection process and make sure that candidates and clients are comfortable in building those relationships out. Uh, for clients, uh, we find a lot are grappling with the technology and really wrestling with what it's going to be, not meeting a person face-to-face -face and bringing a new hire on board. Um, I think employers who are doing recruitment right now, they have to expect smaller applicant pools. They need to be uh, flexible and patient when it comes to bringing someone on and the timing of that start date. Um, employers need to be rethinking uh, the whole virtual onboarding, especially these days. I've watched some of my clients do it exceptionally well and others are learning and, and getting there. Um, Depending on the organization and the gap in time between the vacancy and getting that person on board, we're seeing a lot of organizations turn to interim management as a means to uh, continue to maintain their momentum and their operations, but also easing some of the stressors that uh, executives are feeling. I can't tell you how many times in the run of the day I talk to someone who's working remotely, an executive, full-time, and having school-aged kids. So teacher and executive by day, mom, teacher and executive by night, it's, it's really exhausting. Mm -hmm. So uh, we're also seeing a, a big impact on candidates. Uh, and this is more at the executive recruitment level, not so much the board. Um, when we're approaching candidates, we're trying to be very sensitive, obviously, um, but many are very loyal to their organization and are not contemplating uh, even wouldn't even contemplate thinking about leaving their team until everything uh, subsides and returns to some kind of normalcy. And in the same regard, some are so overwhelmed that they simply don't have time to bring their head up to think about change. We're also uh, finding that relocation is huge. 
Um, people don't want to sell their house right now, mm. don't want to cross a provincial or international border, mm. or even think about uprooting a family. Right. Um, and then lastly, people are reevaluating. So there's a whole cohort of people here are thinking about their job satisfaction, yeah. uh, their job security. Some are more open to joining the public sector as a result of all of this. And someone just want to um, evaluate what they want to be doing for that next uh, mm. career step. So all to say that uh, recruitment and talent attraction is a challenge and it continues to be so today. If I could ask you one uh, just other follow-up question. So you mentioned uh, um, encouraging sort of um, organizations to incorporate, particularly in this environment, psychometric assessment tools. Um, are there any in particular that, uh, that you've flagged, uh, flagged for them? It really depends on the organization and how deep they want to go. Um, yeah. They can have a psychometric light, and so they can have the online, whether it's Hogan or DISC. And then yeah. you can go all the way to, especially with the CEOs, we recommend a full psychometric assessment where you do have multiple online tests as well as a face-to-face -face interview with a, a psychologist to have additional insights. Okay, good. Thank you very much, Michelle. Um, Roger, building on what uh, Michelle has said, uh, can you uh, reflect on the same question, but with reference to private sector board uh, and senior executive recruitment? Yes. Um, it's actually uh, difficult to give a, uh, a specific or general answer. So what I, what I like to do is to, is to put them into boxes because definitely if you're a publicly traded company or a private company, it's a different reality. And within being a privately held company, if you're a startup or a mature company is different. And if you are an entrepreneur running the organization versus what I call a career executive, it's very different. And it, it's funny for us to see the reaction. And in the private sector, we tend to work with a lot of entrepreneurs these days who are a lot quicker to react or to panic into the crisis. And they are less structured at the same time. So. It's a very different reality from what Michelle is saying on the Crown Corporation on the private sector. In the private sector, we, we had a lot of panic to deal with. And, and the panic, you know, has a lot to do with, once again, if we split that into three categories, you have the organization that are in a very, very serious crisis right now, uh, like all the retail, the transport, the entertainment, our clients are, or calling us in panic, definitely. And you have the organization in e-commerce, high tech, and, um, and even healthcare. It's it's fantastic days right now. So the the difference and the extreme of need and understanding makes it very very difficult to navigate. So if you are an entrepreneur or if you are like a large organization, like a bank, we cannot act the same way. So for us. And today I was thinking, you are listening to Michelle and I today to maybe understand in our head, as headhunter, what do we see? So we see a lot of different reactions. Let's say in the last 10 years, we got pretty stable as senior recruiter to recruit board and senior executive. And what I mean by that, we've increased diversity. We worked very hard to increase diversity at the senior leadership 
and in the board, diversity in a way of having definitely a lot of more, that the presence of women has increased to a, a very good standard. Younger people, digital, uh, um, uh, foreigners. One of the big things we were tracking in the last few years is how many foreigners we have on boards now. And I think that criteria is going to change because, because of the crisis, we might go back to more local members because it's going to be now, everyone's going to be protected and protective of their own environment. So the diversity in boards, the process of recruiting, we, firms like us, have got a lot much better at recruiting um, and helping you to be on board. So all the people here today are asking themselves, how can I get into my next board, especially during the crisis? I think the fact that we've got more refined, that the old boys club is disappearing slowly, and for conflict of interest, you are using more firms like us. I think it's a good time for you to better understand what the, the boards will be looking for. And next question, I think Michael will be looking at what after the crisis now, what we will be looking and I think it's very clear now, it starts to be clear of the few competencies that we were not necessarily paying attention before that we'll be paying attention now. The culture of the board was becoming important before we didn't pay that much attention of you know, the culture. It was more like we, we need to fit, they need to fit well, but now the analysis of the culture will be very important. And the group, the group analysis. So how do we gather um, people around the table that can complete and complement each other is very key. And individual performance, we spent a lot of time in the last three years to do board assessments and individual contribution to the board. You cannot just be a surfer anymore and be at the board and just get your token. And once again, it is very good news for new certified directors because the boards will start to look for very concrete competencies and they will be looking for people to complement and have a true value added. So we're getting more and more mandates and that's gonna be good for you. And Roger, Roger, could I ask you a question um, on that, which I find fascinating. It's um, in this environment, the, the virtual environment, um, it can have also, it can have a series of tendencies. One tendency, is that the loudest voice dominates. Yeah. And quite often um, that loud voice in boards where you already don't have a lot of diversity of thought, it may make it even more complicated for the person that has, oh, I have a different idea yeah. to be listened to. So uh, I I'm encouraged by what you're saying is that what we're seeing is actually for a number of reasons that that, that, that environment can't continue to exist, even if the technology sometimes pushes in, in that direction. But you are touching a very good point right now because most of the board members right now are in a situation they've never experienced before. Mm -hmm. A lot of them don't feel they have the right to even give their opinion because they feel completely overwhelmed. And unfortunately, that's going to be to a disadvantage to them. So the board members will stand and speak clearly about what they think is key to the board. Because right now, as you said, the one who's gonna speak the louder might be the only voice and people's gonna be shy around the table. And I think this is one of the key things board members need to do now. They need to be better communicator 
and they need to be very careful of their group thinking and just agreeing with anyone else. And we've seen in our recent searches for the last two months that they are looking for people who have a very strong communication um, background because in the top of not being live, you're being at Zoom and conference calls. So you're not able to express yourself properly with a very good credibility experience. You might not be heard. Roger, does it also mean that when you prepare your, your candidates, now you have to take into consideration everything from how they present themselves virtually? Absolutely. Uh, it's funny because that first impression, I think over now, uh, the web is even more important because uh, you are not able to use your, let's say, your emotional stamina to help yourself in the board. If you have not built a network of people who understand what you want to say, it's going to be difficult. So the conference calls right now for board members are being very difficult. And we'll be talking next questions about us now, headhunters, what we are looking for that we were not looking for six months ago. Oh, please. Maybe that's a good segue to my third question. What potentially could be the new, what will stick when we get to some semblance of new normal? Michelle, do you want to go first? I will, I will compliment. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, in my view, I think the boards and the executives are going through unprecedented times, and uh, it's a crisis that they may never experience again, God help us. But coming out of it, I really see it as an opportunity to assess the performance of the organization and the executive team and the boards through this. Uh, do you have the right people? Do you have the right roles? Do you have the right people in the right roles, uh, both at the executive table as well as around the uh, around the boardroom. Um, from a needs perspective, I think you touched on it, uh, Roger. People and organizations are going to be seeking uh, new qualities or different qualities, and perhaps be more focused on people who are resilient. How are how creative or solutions oriented are they? Are they adaptable? Are they able to quickly pivot and bring people along? and inspire people in that way. Uh, again, on the people side, I think uh, EQ, uh, I think empathy and uh, directive empathy, I think is how it's put now, and strong communication skills are gonna be highly, highly sought after. I'll also point out um, that if we continue on the virtual side, accessibility and unbiased conscience is something that I think board members are going to have to play out with or, or grapple with because people coming onto a, a webinar or a Zoom, you know, not everyone performs as well as they would in person to your point, Roger. And so that unbiased conscious, people are going to have to keep reminding themselves that this is not necessarily reflective of the person's experience and capabilities. Um, Michelle, just a quick a, a question, maybe it's both to yourself and to Roger. I mean, um, one of the competencies that uh, um, I think will also be uh, important is, you know, a strategic perspective. Absolutely. And that couples with uh, this whole another buzzword, you know, we, we talk about agile um, and the ability just to think about what could be a different business model, what could be a different approach. And that's hard if you've always kind of been in the mode of we've always just done it like this kind of a mindset. Uh, and maybe should I, can, I can start on that. Yeah, um, please. I think now at days in, you know, now when we do, and for most of the people, what we do as executive search professional is very vague or unknown. 
and it's it's becoming extremely rigid and focused. It's not it's not very artistic in the way that we have very strict criteria and matrix of things we're looking for. So when we go through a candidate, we might rate him according to 15 to 20 criteria once we present them to the board. So definitely now the, uh, the ability to adapt, the ability to inspire and communicate the resilience and the strong communication, all those criteria now as moving in importance in the scale. And I'm gonna give you some very shocking in a way uh, data Right now, the chair, uh, we, we've surveyed quite a bit of chair of the boards and they think, most of them think that minimum 40% of the current board members should not be the one that it should be right now on the board. And they don't have the power necessarily to change them right away but they, see, they don't see any value added for 40% of the board members on their boards. This is, I think before they felt maybe a bit like that, but now they feel like they're not contributing and they feel alone. So it, it's very important for you to know as future board members on those boards. I just, I just um, I'm mindful of one of the first sessions we, we did, webinars, and my colleague actually used 50%. Okay, so you see, yeah. we have, and and that data comes from you know, um, and very very funny to compare Crown Corporation and privacy. This is why Michelle and I we bounce back a lot of ideas when we work together because in a Crown Corporation, they do a lot more efforts to be diverse. So from a geography point of view, from an ethnic point of view, from a background point of view, so they are already extremely diverse because they represent our population. So very often. Uh, are they? At the same time, the private sector might think some board members are rest relevant because they are too diverse. But what we're seeing right now is the diversity of opinions in a crisis like here is a necessity because people are navigating into uh, into places they've never been before. So if you all think the same, you are not helping at all. The challenge is to make sure those people are not afraid and they have the background. And now we're touching maybe the next point, if I can go further. Please. I think crisis experience, I think financial understanding. So if I can talk to all the board members there, you need to better understand the financial statements. You need to, to talk the financial language because now in organization, you will need to talk about cash flow management and future financial consideration. You need to talk about cybersecurity and you have people working from home. What are we, do we do to, to be safe in the environment? So cybersecurity, uh, financial and availabilities, you need to be more available. What would you say, maybe Michelle, just to build on that, we've talked about some of the soft competencies. Uh, now let's look at some of the hard competencies, financial literacy, understanding of cyber. Uh, I would have to think areas such as supply chain, logistics, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, touching back, remote work is here to stay. I think, uh, especially in the federal realm, I don't know whether all organizations were ready at all. The technology has to enable that remote work, which some really, really struggled with. Um, and then I'm building on that. How do we safeguard all those protected documents that these employees and board members are working with? And so cybersecurity team, 
will be critical, critical moving forward. Um, I think risk is going to take a whole other, uh, go on to a whole other level. Risk planning, emergency planning, planning for uh, scenario A through F or mm -hmm. G in these case, in some cases. So I think that risk function is going to be uh, elevated both operationally, but as well as uh, at the board level. Um, another one that we haven't touched on, but I think is going to be uh, very important is that the CHRO, how is your, who is your human resources expert at the board and within your organization? They have to be strategic. There are so much workforce adaptations and movement dynamics right now that they can't afford to be the tactical HR person. Um, health and safety, how, how are they going to reconcile the collective agreement, the, what staff is prepared to do, what they can do, uh, what union relationships are like right now. So I think that that role is going to be uh, paramount to gelling how well organizations function in the future. And then not to mention um, hiring, hiring the right talent. Uh, federal organizations or large organizations aren't known to be that nimble in attracting and retaining their talent. And so how are they going to move that forward in a way can I ask you both, uh, maybe just to build on, on, on the talent question. We were, it's almost, you know, we define this as pre-COVID, post-COVID. Pre-COVID, mm -hmm. we were in this environment, you know, the war for talent was still very active. That, that, that it's a different environment where talent has, 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 has been, has, is perhaps more readily available in the marketplace, but is still very mo mobile in terms of making a firm decision where they might Settle. So just, just a comment on, on, on that from you both. This whole notion around uh, talent and the importance of retaining and recruiting. Well, it's uh, retaining and rec recruiting, as I mentioned, sometimes uh, with people with vulnerable sectors right now. So they'll be on the market and looking for that security that perhaps a crown or public sector organization may, may offer them. In light fashion, if they're going back to their values and giving back, the public service is a great way to do that, whether it's through board work or through uh, an executive position. And so contributing to the greater society, I think is something that we should be looking at. Maybe to build on that, Michelle, what we've seen as well is in the last 10 years, we've noticed that candidates, whatever for senior leadership or for boards, ask us a lot of questions on values alignment. Are my values aligned with the board, with the organization? I think now as we're getting in the better society level of interactivity, people want to contribute, which is according to your values. When you have the time like the coronavirus, I think you, what we've heard is people are home with the family and they are thinking about more about what life means and what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to do to contribute? And we've seen a lot of can't because we talk the good news for us is everyone is home so we can reach a lot of people right now they are at home and we see a little switch into what they want to do with their lives they want to contribute to a, a better society we're seeing we're seeing it in the human part of the candidate so i think people will will tend to align and you should align with your personal values where you're going to go first on a board or an organization. So we see that from the talent point of view. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can ask as a, as a follow-up on this notion of diversity of thought. 
a, a, a good colleague, and Michelle, you, you know him as well, David Tabucci. And David had just mentioned to me, they brought on board, uh, on their board, uh, kind of a, a mid-sized company, um, a, a very young board director. So, uh, and uh, who wouldn't have been considered beforehand, but his view was they have a better line of sight on where the market may change in terms of the types of services and products. So are you also seeing change in not only um, all sorts of diversity, but in, in, in age as well, in terms of board recruitment? I am. Yeah. I am. I think that in playing out, it depends on the government and their agenda, but this government has a huge youth agenda. And so wanting to develop the, leaderships of, the leadership of tomorrow. And so what we're seeing is that perhaps less board experience, there's an appetite for that for the reasons that you mentioned and getting a different youthful perspective, but also that mentoring, allowing the more seasoned board members an opportunity to mentor and bring up that next generation because we'll have to. Yeah. Maybe if I could turn to, we've got a few questions. If I could ask a few questions from our attendees. So uh, um, uh, Zabine, uh, here G and Sabine will actually be one of our future panelists. So thank you very much, Sabine. Uh, CEOs often say people are our greatest assets. Uh, talent is on the top of their agenda. We've seen during this crisis that leadership and people and cultural have been critical in responding. However, we don't see current or past uh, CHROs on corporate boards, um, as an example. Um, and Zabine goes on to say, I did a manual count of directors on TSX 150 about a year ago, and I counted five out of about 1,200. Do you think this will change? And U.S. boards have more uh, CHROs on their boards, so okay. senior HR execs. Maybe I can uh, I can I can answer this one. In my previous slides, I was a I was a VP of HR myself, and I'm an actuary by background. So all my life, I've been dealing with VP of HR and the CHRO. And unfortunately, I don't think you need CHRO to be more human in their way. So sometimes we have the feeling that, oh, to be closer to employees or to have a better va value assessment of our employees, of the human part, we should get a CHO on our board. Unfortunately, I don't think this is what, this is what necessarily the board need. I think we need a more human connection, a human touch, a better alignment and a better, a real, a real alignment when we say people are the greatest assets, it needs to be aligned with the strategy. So unfortunately, I don't think that's gonna change. And I'm very sad to say that and just being realistic, there is still a lot of credibility to be gained uh, by the HR, to, especially in the private sector, to be more operational and more business. So I think the human component is getting bigger but I don't think we're going to see more CHRO on boards. And I, I'm, it's very sad, but I don't think so. Michelle, what do you want to add? I, I, I don't, not to disagree, but to disagree. Um, I think that you might get more uh, people with an insight on the labor relations side, especially if you're talking about organizations who have huge unions. And I think if, whether it's through the legal perspective or through the HR perspective, people who understand how to build those relationships and expectations with the unions, in that case, I think you might be you might be seeing more uh, CHROs come forward, but it, it'll be operationally dependent. Uh, a small, nimble, uh, medium-sized 
entrepreneurial organization may not see it the same way. But maybe I, I can add on that, Michelle. What, what, as head hunter, when we recruit executives, we love to see that a CHO was in operation before yes. or went to operation after. And I think if you have multiple angles to your career in the top of being a CHO will definitely be a plus yes. to be on the board. Maybe a, 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 a question, one more question, then um, we'll, uh, we'll do a little bit of summation, I think. Uh, before we move into another format so we can get more questions in. But my, my, uh, my follow-up is this issue around diversity and bringing more youth onto the board. Um, uh, as you can see, with a bit of gray hair, I'm, I'm not as young, even though my, I've got a change update. Uh, Andre Roger, you said my, my LinkedIn photo. Um, <laughs> I look quite a bit younger on that. So what don't, is it don't that- Don't we all? Don't we all. <laughs> so, so what is it that we ensure that it's not ageism, not per se, but it is about how does an older generation, what advice would you give that we remain the types of candidates that can add value at the level of the board? So in a changing environment. So what advice would you give for, you know, a more established director? Maybe I can start with that, Michelle. Um, you're touching a very good point. Um, I think 10 years ago, uh, we saw diversity of age or youth as, oh, we have to get younger people on the board because they are whatever millenniums, they think differently, so they're going to add something we don't have. So age become, became a big criteria in itself. And I think the age point now is less of a criteria as... Um, you can be a more senior person and be completely reinventing the world and be open to be the curiosity and innovation. And I think we are trending away from the pure age criteria mm -hmm. as looking at what have you done into organization to shape things and to, to not accept the status quo. What will not be acceptable now is like Accepting the status quo, I think, is going to be a big thing now. And if I can just add that, this is the time for you who are on board to shine now. You have the, the time and the chance to bring that value that uh, I'm going to contribute to say something that is we, we need to look at. Multiple scenarios. We cannot only have three scenarios anymore, Michael. Thank you. Well said. Michelle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, well, said. well um, what we're going to do shortly is we're going to transition into another format. Uh, um, we're going to navigate people who want to stay with us from uh, attendees to panelists. And that way we can see each other collectively by video. But for those that do have to leave, and I'm hoping if you do have to leave, you'll join us next Tuesday with uh, my colleague uh, uh, Zabine and my dean, Len Waverman, on reimagining the future of work. So long setup for next week. But I, I do also want Michelle and Roger, if you could do a quick summation. So what one or two takeaways from our discussion do you want to leave uh, the colleagues with before we move to our other format? Okay. So, um, yeah, so I think boards and organization, it's time to shake it up. You have to take stock of your talent, who's around the table or both the executive as well as board. Uh, and it comes back to making sure that you have the right people in, within your organization with the right attitude moving it forward. Um, I think you need to support diversity. 
from all angles and make sure that those questions are being asked at the boardroom and at the board level. And that's trickling down into organizations. I predict that crowns and public sectors rethinking risk and what that looks like and planning and strategic readiness for the next wave or something similar that may come our way in the future. And remote work and social distancing will be here for some time. And so making sure that your organizations are set up technically and with the right technology and digital cybersecurity to make that happen are all things that are going to play out. And you're going to have to recruit for it as well. Thank you, Michelle. I would split my answer into two categories. I always do that as an actuary. I'm a numbers guy. But if you are looking at joining a board right now, you've just graduated from your certification and you're just wondering, you know, how am I going to get into my first or second board? It's even more difficult now because now you have a hard time to develop your network. So I think you need to make an extra effort during the crisis of the next year to connect with a lot of current board members that are living the crisis right now and learn from it. To be able to be aware and not disconnected. So once you have the chance to be interviewed or to apply, you know exactly what it is to be a board member right now in this unknown certainty. And you have to work very hard on your network to know what board would be recruiting. But once again, you're not going to do lunch anymore as much to know about it. If you are a current board member, it is your time to shine. Right now, the board needs you more than ever. And half of the board members and half of your colleague will not shine. So if you're looking at being into more committees or having evaluated, this is the time. You have a lot more time to prepare, come extremely well prepared to your board, read everything and bring value to the financial, the technology, the supply chain, and the, the colleagues that you have. That would be my, my two main advices for uh, that I have today. On that, just, just to build, yeah, I'm building on that just for a moment there, uh, Roger, but I think that on the network side, that organizations are going to be looking for individuals who can help them broaden their own networks, mm-hmm. whether it's through government relations, whether it's through partnering with unconventional partners to help leverage either resources and funds. If you can bring that to the table, you're going to be differentiating yourself immensely. And uh, on the point of how many boards you sit on, I think people are going to have to be careful not to get overboarded because it's heavy lifting in the days to come. Good point. Yeah. A, a little final build on, on what you both had mentioned around networks. Uh, I encourage uh, all of you that are, are watching, if you do go back to uh, our now archive of uh, 17 webinars, I think it was webinar number four with Chris, my colleague Chris Ernst, who was formerly head of people and organizations at the Gates Foundation. And Chris's session on social network, building your social networks uh, is a fabulous uh, discussion that builds on what both Michelle and Roger had said. Um, So thank you very much. Uh, We're gonna take a short little stretch, about a minute. And for those that can continue to join us, we will switch you to uh, video and you can uh, join us then uh, in almost uh, sort of in, not quite in person, but at least we can see each other. For those that can't, you'll be receiving uh, the video recording. 
uh, within the next 24 hours, including two artifacts from Roger and Michel on some of the topics that we covered.